Welcome back to Kings of the North, Doug Maurice and Bill Landis. A little late this week, but there was such a great week, Landis, that we need to cover it all and we need to look ahead because Northern football is continually interesting and continually high level. And we'll talk about that a little bit later because you know what's not right now? You know what's not? <laughs> football in the South. We'll talk about that later. We'll do our team rankings. Where does Ohio State belong? Where does Washington State belong in our northern team rankings? We'll get back to a full-throated list of Knights of the North, the 10 best players in northern football. Of course, the Brian Ferentz Survivor Show. And, of course, a look ahead, not quite as good as last week, but a couple really meaningful, interesting games that matter, including the fact that Syracuse is going to beat Clemson this week. So we'll get into all of that, but we're going to start with the Frantic 14, that's seven topics in 14 minutes, and away we go. First off, has Washington State thrown off our view of Wisconsin? We love these national non-conference games. Wisconsin goes to Washington State, falls behind 24-6 a couple weeks ago, rallies, still loses 31-22, and it's like, oh, I don't know if this Luke Fickle thing is going to work at Wisconsin in year one. Then it turns out that Washington State is a problem. <laughs> Cam Ward is a problem. They beat Oregon State this week, and maybe Wisconsin is actually working it out. Now, the tough thing about this is they've lost Chesmalusi, their great running back for the year, which is terrible. But as we try to analyze this Wisconsin team, Bill, I feel like how good Washington State might be has thrown us off. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't know that I'm that I'm quite there. If you look at some of like the underlying numbers with Wisconsin, they're still not very good. Um, I think their defense is probably above average. I still don't think they have any idea what they want to be on offense. They have two passing touchdowns this year, which is like kind of remarkable that that's the number. And efficiency-wise, they're actually worse right now than they were last year throwing the football, which is not where you want to be when you bring in Tanner Mordecai and Phil Longo when you want to transition to this more pass-heavy air raid attack. I still don't think they've really figured that out. Um, are they a bad team? No, I don't, I don't think Wisconsin's a bad team. I think after they lost to, to Washington State, I was probably more down on them than I should have been. So if if that qualifies as a yes to this answer, then I guess my answer is yes. But I'm still fairly skeptical of, of Wisconsin. Best team in the Big Ten West, though? Yes or no on Wisconsin? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Well, what does that mean, right? So <laughs> I will say Wisconsin on the year, they were oh, they were. They didn't force any turnovers against Washington State, and they lost it three times. So they were 0-3 and three in the turnover battle. The rest of the year, they're 9-3 to three in the turnover battle. They're pretty good at that. They are over 200 rushing, over 200 passing yards per game. You know how many teams in the Power Five are doing that, Bill? 200 mm. plus 200 on average? It's actually 13. It's a meaningless stat. I was, I was like, going to ah. say 13. I was like, hey, look at Wisconsin. It's like, actually, no, everybody does that. I was like, okay, <laughs> well, I looked it up, so I'm going to say it anyway. Congratulations to uh, Louisville and uh, TCU and UCLA for also being on that meaningless list. They are, the fact that they're over 200 yards passing, they haven't averaged 200 yards passing in a season since 2019 when Wisconsin threw for 200.1 yards per game and ranked 96th in the nation. So that's the very low bar that they're working on here. I'll leave you with this. Cam Ward, who we're going to talk about later for Washington State, yards from scrimmage, 491 in the opener, 339, 418 in his 
three games that were not Wisconsin against Wisconsin, just 251 and four sacks. So Wisconsin actually had much more success containing Cam Ward than anybody else has. I'd keep, I'd keep my eye on the Badgers. Number two, is David Braun earning the full-time job at Northwestern? Let me give you some uh, Big Ten records under the last several years of Pat Fitzgerald. 2022, 1-8. and eight. 2021, 1-8. 2020, the COVID year that we're figuring out threw a lot of people off, 6-1. and one. 2019, 1-8. So the last four years, the last three full normal years of the Pat Fitzgerald era, Northwestern won one Big Ten game. They've already won their Big Ten game for the year because they beat Minnesota in overtime. I often said and thought that like, hey, man, Pat Fitzgerald to the only, is the only guy who could be doing this at Northwestern. Obviously, it's still the players he recruited, that kind of stuff, man. I, David Braun's doing it. They beat Minnesota. They're 2-2 two and two in the year when I think people thought Northwestern was going to go 0-12. That was an incredible comeback for them. They were now 21 with like two minutes left in the third quarter, and they came back and, and won in overtime. Um, they're still not very good, um, but I don't know if that's necessarily a reflection of David Braun. I, I guess my question would be, what does it have to look like for him to to keep the job? Like, is it is it just a, a sheer number of wins he needs to hit? Like, are you going to keep a guy who wins three games this year because it's more than you won last year? I don't I don't know if that's something that galvanizes a fan base. Well, I th- I think it's more about if they stay together and if they look competent than how many games they win because they still okay. might only win three games, right? There's they have Howard left, and then you know they have the Big Ten West, and every game in the Big Ten West is is winnable. Michigan State's in a in a in a similar situation, right? I mean, I think you have to give a look if a guy keeps you together in a world where who's going to want that job, right? Like, and, and yeah. Northwestern's in a worse place than Michigan State is. Like, who's going to want that job? Biggest comeback since two thousand nine for Northwestern. Bryce Kurt, shout out to him, two hundred fifteen receiving yards, the fourth most all time in a single Northwestern game, and um, they have scored 38 and 37 points in their two wins this year against UTEP and Minnesota. The last time they had scored that many points was the opener in 2020, 43 against Maryland. So they've been, they've been putting points on the board in a way that they weren't at the end of the Fitzgerald era. It's not perfect. Ben Bryan, the transfer quarterback, Ben Bryant getting it done. Like I just, they have a pulse when people think they would. And I think that's enough. David Braun is not associated with any of the hazing allegations at Northwestern because he was new this year. It just might be an opportunity to, to like reward a guy for holding a very difficult situation together. And also maybe you've stumbled onto somebody who has a little something. To the point of them having a pulse, I mean, it, 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 obviously I think they're going to beat Howard and get to three wins. I, in my mind, it's not inconceivable that they can find another win or two at Nebraska against Iowa against yeah. Purdue and at Illinois, like the big 10 West is pretty bad this year from what we've seen. And and I don't, I don't think Northwestern is particularly impressive, but when no one else in the division is either aside from really Wisconsin, I think they could steal another game or two. Yeah. It's funny. Whenever you play that game with any big 10 West team, you're like, I don't know. I think they could maybe because <laughs> every, t- whoever you have as your main team of focus, it's like my thing on the food chain. Everybody jumps in the middle of the food chain and you're like, I feel good about this animal. And if they eat somebody, you're like, oh, well. But if they get eaten, you feel bad for them. Whenever you look at a Big Ten West team, it's like, I feel good about this team because n- nobody else is good. Yeah. Nobody's good. And then as soon as you flip it, you're like, no, I don't feel about good. I feel good about this team now. Number three, talking about a Big Ten West team, Nebraska. Matt Rule and Nebraska are getting ready to play Michigan this week, and he wants to be Michigan. He is using Jim Harbaugh and Michigan as a template. 
He said we want to be offensive line, defensive line focused, quarterback, physical tight end. So those are the four positions he mentioned. Didn't mention corner. Didn't mention receiver. Didn't particularly mention edge rusher getting after the quarterback. Scott Frost and Mike Riley, the eight seasons before Matt Rule at Nebraska, were 34 and 56 combined. Rich Rodriguez and Brady Hope, the seven seasons before Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, were 46 and 42. So Nebraska is even in a worse spot. But I do feel like Michigan, It if you're in the Big Ten and you're like, I just think we should be like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley. Let's try to be like Ohio State and USC. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Michigan looks like a thing that's doable, even though it took them a while to work it out to this level. And by the way, there's a whole lot of skill and precision precision involved in what Michigan is doing. But I like Michigan being a beacon of light for every mediocre Big Ten program because you don't have to go recruit Marvin Harrison Jr. to beat right. Michigan. Yeah, that's the thing. I think I think like physical and sound is probably the appropriate way of going about your business for everyone in the Big Ten who, who's not basically Ohio State and Penn State. And maybe even Michigan now that it's established itself as a national power could pivot if it wanted to. But I think almost everybody else in the league has to operate that way, including Nebraska. So I don't I don't think it's a it's a bad thought from from Matt Rule. I you know, I question their ability to do it only because of some of their geographical restrictions and, and limitations like Michigan has been able to build its program on the backbone of like super physical Midwestern linemen and like be really good in their evaluations That's of that. To Matt rules here, man. Come on. Super physical. Yeah, but, I, but can linemen. they get them? Can they get them is my question. Like I'm looking at their recruiting class and they're like, they're not doing that right now. And, and yeah. it's his first class. So like he can, he can pivot and, and continue to build it there, but they're still like in Texas. They're still going out West. Um, I think if they want to be Michigan, they need to like start recruiting like Michigan. And, and like, I just don't, I don't think you can say you want to be it, but then like recruit a roster that is not going to actually get you there. So I'll be curious to see how it works out for them and, and how they start identifying players. But if that's what you want to be, I think it's a fine goal. Okay. Let's talk about Michigan now for number four. I think you and I disagree about how good Michigan's offense is. Yeah. And I think it's pretty good and because it's just what we talked about. They're not trying to be Washington or Oklahoma or USC or Ohio State. And so within what they're trying to be, I think they continue to be precise and execute that at a high level. And when you look at their like kind of success rate on offense and that kind of thing, they're not as high. They're not up there with Washington or USC or Oregon, but they are in the pack with Washington State and Georgia and Oklahoma and Miami, and they're like ahead of Ohio State in success rate. They're ahead of Syracuse. They're way ahead of Penn State. I think they know exactly who they are, and that just they don't even want to score 50 points a game. But I still think they continue to be really good at what they want to be, and I feel like you don't agree with that all the way. Uh, I don't know if that's the case. I like I don't I don't I don't think they're a bad offense. I I think that the the pace at which they play I think influences me probably a little too much. Um, they are just very deliberate, and and it's hard for me to like beautifully. How I thought you would love deliberate. <laughs> no, they're too deliberate. Slow and they are in terms of pace of play. They are the second slowest team in the country. The only team uh, that's slower is Air Force. Take your time. Um, What's the hurry, Bill? That, well, I guess like it's a good point. Like I don't, I, you don't have to hurry, right? As long as you're efficient, you don't have to hurry. And I guess they have been efficient. Um, they're definitely passing the ball better. 
this year than they were last year. If JJ McCarthy, like I am someone who wanted to see him take steps as a guy who can operate like outside of play action passes and actually sit in a pocket and make decisions. And I think he's largely made, you know, pretty great strides in, in that area with the exception of the game where he lost his mind and threw three picks earlier this year. Otherwise he's been pretty good. Um, I don't find them to be particularly explosive. And the thing that I believe they're going to want to hang their hat on running the football just frankly doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't look good, but it doesn't look like Michigan at the moment. Um, and maybe part of that is Blake Corum still getting back to being Blake Corum and, and an offensive line still gelling. Like Donovan Edwards is averaging like three yards a carry. Yeah. Um, so like that, that's stuff is kind of weird to me, but it's not, it's not that I think they're, they're bad. It's just like, can you be, can they be a team that is, I don't know, closer to average running the football than they have been in the last few years under Jim Harbaugh and like be a team that's going to throw it on you to win. I'm, I'm still a little skeptical of that. I think is where I'm at. Blake Corum, 6.1 yard average. Donovan Edwards, 3.3 yard average. It is just kind of weird. Looking at success rate offensively last weekend, right? This is like how often you're getting what you need to get on first down, second down, third down to sort of stay on schedule. Success rate percentages in their individual games. Oregon was 49% and blowing out Colorado. Washington was 47%. They're absolutely bombing people. Uh, Washington State and the huge win against Oregon State was 45%. And you know what? A really good success rate on offense? Notre Dame, 44%. And losing to Ohio State, Michigan was 41 against Rutgers. So not quite as high, but like Penn State was 34% against Iowa. Ohio State and the win against Notre Dame was 23%. Yeah. Right? Like they, they weren't getting it done on a down-to-down basis nearly in, in any way, shape, or form the way Michigan has been. 55% conversion rate on third down for Michigan, which is third in the power five, which is they are a little methodical. They get themselves. All right. It's third down. We got it, but they're doing it then. I, st- I still think it is working and will continue to work for them. Yeah, they are. Um, so they've updated the stats on, on uh, the BCF toys website through four games. Michigan is fifth in drive effic- efficiency, sixth in points per drive, fourth in available yards, uh, fourth in touchdown rate and 29th in first down rate. So okay, so top, you believe top that. 10, top 10 nearly across the board. Yeah, no, I, it's, not, it's not, it's not, yeah, I mean, they are, they're, they're playing like one. I just like the, the, the rel- inefficiencies relative to how good they have been, like it's their standard running the football, are a little, you know, curious. I'm just, I, I want to see how it develops. All right, number five on uh, Frantic 14. This is for you, brother. I just want you to get a new t shirt. Do you know the name Dragan Kesich? The kicker from Minnesota. Oh, you do. 6-4, left-footed, made the game-winning field goal against Nebraska in week one. We didn't talk about him then. We could have. He's made nine of ten field goals this year. Nine field goals is tied for the second most in college football this year. Um, They have nine field goals and eight touchdowns at Minnesota this season, so he's carrying the offense. This is his fourth year with Minnesota. The first three years, he was the kickoff specialist. He's been waiting for this opportunity, right? And he's absolutely taking advantage of it. And uh, they call him the Serbian Hammer. And if you go to his Instagram account, you can buy a shirt that says the Serbian Hammer. And it has this giant left-footed guy booming a ball, and there's like a hammer coming off of his foot. And so I would like us eventually maybe to get to a place where we can promote a different piece of Northern player NIL merch 
on this show every week. Yeah. But I kind of feel like for now, you just need a Serbian hammer sweatshirt because the dude bided his time, waited it out, and is delivering for Minnesota. Yeah, I like him. I'm looking at his bio now. He is uh, says he is a relative of Milan Lucic, who is a very good uh, NHL player, um, just like a you know, I would describe him as a Serbian hammer as a, of a hockey player. Yeah, the way that he played. So uh, yeah, I'm all about that. I might get me a Serbian hammer shirt. Yeah, maybe a hat. Could, yeah, extra large. Give me an extra. Yeah. We'll, we'll combine the order and save on shipping. And I just thought maybe this would be a spot where you would like be ready to bring it on PJ Fleck because they've had two not great losses the last two weeks. They kind of got rolled in North Carolina two weeks ago, and now they lose to Northwestern. Just a reminder: the last three non-COVID years. Minnesota's won nine, nine, and 11 games. Like it continues to be like a pretty high level of football at Minnesota. They just haven't looked great so far this year, but the Serbian hammer is going to bail them out. All right. Yeah. Plant a flag. Number six, I want to talk about Dan Lanning. And, and this is the, all I want to say. I've calmed down a little bit since I didn't like what he did um, before the Colorado game, bringing the cameras into the locker room for the pregame speech to say they care about clicks, we care about wins. It's like, okay, you're putting it on TV. I liked, I really liked what Oregon did on the field. But then just, like, if you're going to criticize, he criticized Colorado for being too Hollywood, right? If you're going to do that, like, just go win on the field. Don't be Hollywood in the meantime. And by the way, as everyone's noted, like, what more, what program has been more Hollywood than Oregon the past couple of years? But, but the thing he said then at halftime was, I hope all the people that have been watching every week are watching this week, meaning all the people who are watching Colorado. He seemed mad about Colorado getting attention. Well, you have our attention, Oregon. And, but I just don't know when we were supposed to pay attention to Oregon before right now. Because last year for Dan Lanning in year one, they got destroyed by Georgia in their opener. Then they won eight straight, I think. And then they lost their two rivalry games that matter to Washington and Oregon State. So right when we were starting to pay attention, it's like, okay, well, you lost your rivalry teams, okay? I mean, they had a nice win over Utah, but like, what were we supposed to be watching? Then this year, they drop 81 on Portland State. Are we supposed to pay attention to that? Mm-hmm. They almost lose at Texas Tech. Are we supposed to pay attention to that? And then they drop 50, 50 plus on Hawaii, who's probably one of the 10 worst programs in major college football. Are we supposed to pay? One, are we supposed to pay attention? But guess what? Now we're paying attention. And here's what's coming Oregon has Stanford this week, then they're off. Then in the next five week stretch, at Washington, Washington State, at Utah, Cal, and then USC. So they got three, four huge, huge games down the stretch. And I just, I didn't, I like, I like going after the media, like the way Ryan Day and Jake Dickert did, because like the media is full of boneheads, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. like journalism. I don't like journalists or like, I like <laughs> media. I like the, the media business. I don't necessarily like individual media members. So go after the media. Rile up your team that way. But I thought he he got after the attention that Colorado was getting in kind of a way that was like whining about attention. So you have our attention. Now what's going to happen? Because there's a part of it that if that was like, hey, I want these cameras in here and I'm appealing to recruits. There's a part of me, Landis, that was like, if I was a high school kid, I might have watched that speech and been like, I think I might go to Colorado to beat that guy. <laughs> and now that's not going to happen because they're going to be in different conferences next year. Oregon's going to be in the Big Ten and Colorado's going to be in the Big 12. But I also might have watched it as a Big Ten player and been like, you know what? I don't know what I think of that guy. I think I might want to kick his butt next year. So Oregon's going to come to the Big Ten and be like the fifth best program. So get ready, Dan. You got your attention. Great win. 
They looked awesome. I wasn't sure how good they were. They looked awesome. But you want it, Dan? We're watching, baby. Now do something with it. Did you uh, did you watch their um I did hi- highlight video? Oh, the one that got clicks? The one yeah. they put on Instagram to get all the clicks that had the Colorado players like saying yeah. nasty things about Oregon before the game? Yeah. Great and also video. all yeah, and all Might the win media. an Oscar short film. But yeah. Dan doesn't worry about that. Dan just worries about wins. Substance. But great job. Great cinematography, yeah. Oregon. Dan Lennon. <laughs> we're gonna play tough. We're gonna defend the O and we're gonna have great cinematography. <laughs> but we don't care about it. And our co- our color combinations are gonna be lit. We're gonna have the coolest cleats, but all we care about is wins. That's all. We're watching, Dan. We are a uh, watching. What's your flag? <laughs> My flag is um I think maybe I'm I'm instead of planting a flag, I'm pulling one out of the ground here because <laughs> I, I would have been uh pretty high on on the on Oregon State winning the Pac twelve this year. In fact, I, I placed a bet on it before the season. Um and their loss this week to Washington State has me rethinking that a little bit because I, I think it could end up that Oregon State, while very talented and a very good solid team, might be a little bit too much of, of like a game state team to maybe pull that off. And what I mean by that is like they, they need it to go their way, I think, to win. And, and we saw that this week against Washington State. Washington State jumped on them early, and I just don't think Oregon State is built to like throw its way back into a game with DJ Uyunglele. They ran the ball really well, but I, I don't know that that's a, a way to live when you're trying to overcome early game deficits. And how many teams on their schedule can put them in that position? Not a lot, but they still have to play Washington. They still have to play Oregon, and they already have a loss in the league now. So um, I'm, I'm a little less bullish on the prospects of the Beavers winning the Pac-12. There's just a lot of people that get after you offensively in the Pac-12. So like USC, Washington, Washington State, and Oregon qualify as that, and Colorado. Mm -hmm. And then it feels like Oregon State and Utah are a little bit more like complementary football, everything combined, but it narrows their winning window in what is a really difficult league. So I, I think you're onto something there. All right. When we come back, that frantic 14 got a little loose. But, you know, you got to give your flowers to a dragon. When we come back, we're going to rank the best teams in the North. We'll do it next on Kings of the North. Douglas Maurice, Bill Landis back. We like to rank the best Northern teams. And I'm going to read the rankings as we did them. What we do, Bill and I each do our own ranking. We rank whoever we think is worthy of being ranked. And so far, for the most part, we keep coming in on the same number of teams. So we each rank nine teams this week. Not a ton of disagreement. So I'll just tell you who they are. Then I want to talk about a particular, a couple of teams in particular at length. Number one, Washington. No dispute. I know. I think they got a first place vote in the AP poll, and I thought that was appropriate. And I think you know, if, again, if we were just really being honest with ourselves, there's absolutely a path to thinking that Washington's the best team in college football right now. Absolutely, that path is there. Mm-hmm. If you want to think about it that way. Tied for second, Ohio State and Penn State. Michigan, four, Washington State, five, Oregon, six, Utah, seven, Notre Dame, eight, and Oregon State, nine. So I want to zero in on two teams there, Landis. First, let's talk about Ohio State. You had Ohio State second on your list. I had Ohio State fourth. And uh, our Kings of Columbus show on the podcast feed, our tech subscription for Ohio State subscribers, somebody asked, about the idea of that when I was an AP poll voter, I was a resume voter. 
And so to go on the road and get a ranked win on the road at Notre Dame, that's the kind of thing that I would respond to as a resume voter in the AP poll. When I do this ranking, I do this as a power poll in my head. I really do rank this as the teams that I think are the best based on how they've looked and how they've played. But if I was doing the AP poll, I don't, when it actually matters, I don't like trying to rank on what I think because I'm an idiot and I'm <laughs> wrong all the time. I, when it matters, I much prefer to vote on what has happened and to reward teams for what they've done. And I think if you do that honestly over the course of a season, you're going to get to the right place at the end and you're going to get there the most honest, consistent way possible. So I will say, if I was doing resume rankings, I'd have Ohio State one in the North. Because yeah. I think they have the best win. They struggled a little bit early. They got it together in week three. You know, that Indiana team, you know, is is has more of a pulse than Portland State, right? And then to go on the road at Notre Dame, however you do it, I would give huge credit for that. And it's the best win in the North. You know, Washington State over Oregon State's good, right? But it's the best win in the North. And I would acknowledge that. But I think of this as power, how I think they look, and I think they look fourth. So I just wanted to explain that to people. You do have them second. We have them tied for second on our combined list. Why did you vote Ohio State the way you did? So I'm, I'm trying to strike a little bit of a balance there because I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. If this were an AP poll and I used to be an AP poll voter as, as well, I, I would have Ohio State first here. I'd have like probably Florida State first in the country. Um, but I'd have Ohio State up there because because the resume I think matters for a situation like that. Here, here I'm trying to to kind of balance both and you know looking at the body of work from everybody else in, in comparison to Ohio State. I, I'll, I'll just go through my thought process. Like Washington has not played a team the caliber of Notre Dame, but has dominated in every game it's played and like played enough good competition. Right, a couple Power Five teams, a, a Boise State team that was picked to win the Mountain West. Like they're not playing a bunch of cupcakes and steamrolling them. Yeah. They're playing. They're playing like kind of solid teams. I think okay teams and steamrolling them. So that's why I was comfortable still leaving them at one, despite not having the resume point of of a Notre Dame win or even an Oregon State win. And while Ohio State has not looked as explosive on offense as we want them to be, as we've come accustomed to seeing them be, they are controlling all of these games. Like they've not, they were not in jeopardy of losing any of their previous three games. They blew the doors off Western Kentucky, who turns out might not actually be that good. But if you want to talk about like game control, and, and I'm not necessarily weighing that, but but if you want to do that kind of eye test, I think Ohio State has done that while not looking particularly great on offense. And then it has this marquee win against Notre Dame. Whereas like Penn State has controlled games, but I don't think their schedule has been particularly difficult. Michigan has controlled games. Their schedule has been easy, as easy as anybody's in the country. Um, Washington State has controlled things a little less, but also has that big time win against Oregon State that bumped them up for me too. So I'm like trying to take all of that into account. Uh, but that's why I had Ohio State second, because I actually think that while they've not played to their, they haven't really played their A game, probably with the exception of Western Kentucky, they have been dominant in in kind of a specific way in the other three games they played and then one on the road at Notre Dame. Amazing stat that I put together. Great job by me. <laughs> it's just sitting there. I just, I, what I do like 14 seconds of math. My daughter's in calculus right now and it makes my head hurt. So every now and then when I get out football stats and I count on my fingers, it makes me feel good about myself. 
that I picked this profession that doesn't require calculus. Do you know how many one score wins Ohio State's had in the Ryan Day era? This is his uh, fifth full season that he's in at Ohio State. I yeah, because I read the text. So I, I were you surprised by the number, which was three? Uh, I was surprised by the record. I think more than the number because I I couldn't recall many off the top of my head. So I'm not so, surprised. So Ohio one. State under Ryan Day is three and three in one score games, and the three wins are in 2020. They were ahead of Indiana by like four scores and let Indiana come back and had to hold on at the end and won by one score. The amazing Utah Rose Bowl and Notre Dame. So that when Ryan Day has that reaction, he had never won a game like that that way as the Ohio State head coach. He had never experienced it before. Because the Utah bowl games, when you can't win the national championship, are an exhibition. It was an amazing game and an amazing win for Ohio State to beat Utah that year. But Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave didn't play because it was over. So this was the most pressure to win a game like that. And then, you know, they're, they've lost three one-score games. Like, they lost the Georgia game. They lost the Clemson semifinal by one score in 2019. Like, they've lost those games under him. So they found a way to win. And knowing how to win and finding a way to win is worth its weight in gold. When you look at, like, their success rate from that game, and there's a great chart um, that was on Twitter this week as we continue to, like, try to find the right um, – inside stats to use Parker Fleming at, at stats award does a great job with this stuff. Ohio state was there's like maybe 15 teams that this past week that had the, the team with the worst success rate compared to its opponent actually won. Ohio state was third on that list. There were only two teams that won that had a more of a success deficit than Ohio state did against Notre Dame. So it's like down to down play to play both sides of the ball. Notre Dame was a more successful team in that game than Ohio State was. Ohio State won. So, like, finding a way to win is huge credit on the resume. Huge. It's all that matters. People have suggested maybe this is like 2002 Ohio State. I love that suggestion. They won, I think, it's six one-score games in 2002. And Ohio State fans say it's like their favorite Ohio State season of all time. If you're an Ohio State fan, get in that mindset. That's a great place to be right now. But power poll? I think Penn State's look better. I think Michigan's look better. I think Washington's look better. So, like, that's where I am. Mm-hmm. That's where I am with Ohio State. Let's talk about Washington State, which went from off the radar, had not been ranked even after beating Wisconsin in any of our previous polls. We didn't think they deserved that. They've leapt up their number five now. The Pac 12, I thought, had five real contenders coming into this season Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Utah, USC. Then it was like, nope, they have six, add Colorado. And now it's like, nope, they have six, add Washington State. And if you want to keep Colorado in there, now they have seven. That's more than half the conference. It's amazing. How real is Washington yeah. State? Why are they fifth on our list? I mean, if Cam Ward's going to play the way that he just played, I think they're pretty weird, or pretty real, excuse me, not weird. Um, they are like kind of a light version of Washington. Like, I don't yeah. think Cam Ward is quite as good as Michael Penix. I don't think their three receivers are quite as good as Washington's three receivers, but they're pretty good and they're pretty explosive. Um, so I, I think they're legit. I, I You look at their defensive numbers, they're not, they're not tremendous. They did get run on in this game against Oregon State, 242 yards, I think it was. I think if, if Oregon State had decided earlier in the game that it just wanted to keep running and including running DJ Uyunglele, maybe the game looks a little different. They didn't kind of get to that till later in the game when it was almost too late or was too late. So um, 
but that offense is legit. It's 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 a it's similar, I think, with all these teams in the Pac-12. Like I don't necessarily believe in any of their abilities to stop good offenses when they come across them, but um, or explosive passing offenses to be more specific. But they are, I mean, they'll bomb it on you all day. And Cam Ward adds the element too of of being shifty with his feet and he'll run. He had a rushing touchdown in this game. He's he's kind of electric with the ball in his hands. Um, does do some wild stuff at times, which makes him entertaining. But I think they're legit. Um, they were they were borderline legit last year, I think, but they've taken a step forward. So they just this this Washington State Oregon State game that just happened, uniting the world. Did you see the great? Um, stepbrothers photo from the Washington state and Oregon state mascots before the game. Oh no. It's like the John the C. Two. Riley, Will Ferrell yeah. photo because they're united. They're both getting booted out of the PAC 12. They're suing everybody. We've talked about them. I think they should both go to the mountain West and kick butt because they're playing some really good football right now. That was the 108th Oregon state, Washington state game. First time they're both ranked. It's the, it's the last one. Well, they will still keep playing. They'll actually, they'll still keep, they'll find a way. But in this version, as Pac-12 members, the last one is the best one. The Apple Cup, Washington, Washington State at the end of the year has a chance to be the best one. Take the over. And, and they have to <laughs> they have to continue to play that game. But it is a chance to be amazing. It is one of these things with Washington State. Washington, Washington State comes out and absolutely blitzes you. They did it to Wisconsin. They did it to Oregon State. Cam Ward throws a bomb. I think second or third play of the game, they get a lead. They jump out 14 nothing. Then they do get a little loose. They had tur- they, you know, Washington State's moving the ball. They have two turnovers. A wide receiver gets a ball punched out. Cam Ward's a little loose with it in the pocket, trying to get away from mm-hmm. pressure, loses the ball there. But they don't stop. So, like, here's the thing about Washington State. Can they get can they go 12 and 0 this way? They can't. They they fly too close to the sun. Do they scare every single team on their schedule? Absolutely. Yes. And no this doubt. is why I didn't pick anybody to make the playoff out of the Pac-12 because it's too good. And Washington State is going to continue ruining people's seasons. And whether that means they wind up 11 and 1, whether that means they wind up 9 and 3 or 8 and 4, might come down to like a turnover here or a turnover there, but they are an absolute problem. And it really is like just the slightly lesser version of what Washington is doing. Man, what a year for football fans in the state of Washington. How confusing and terrible it's been in some ways. But on the field, it's going to be great. And they absolutely deserve to be this high in our rankings. And man, Pac-12 second half of the year is just going to be unbelievable week after week. Yeah, I think Washington State is going to be really fun to watch the rest of the year. Because like, if you look at UCLA, Arizona, Oregon, maybe not Arizona State, Stanford, Cal, Colorado, Washington. Like, I don't, I don't know that I'd be surprised if they lost any of those games. Because I think they can be particularly volatile, yeah. but but I think that will make for an entertaining team to follow for the major, for the rest of the year. Washington has uh, outscored opponents, by the way, number one on our list. Outscored opponents, one hundred and ninety nine to sixty eight. Washington, not Washington State, but that's what Washington has done this year. And I just want to note when you look at offensive and defensive success rates, Penn State's defensive success rate is like light years ahead of everybody else in major college football. That Penn State, de- I, now I want to see Penn State and Washington play. That Penn State, what the Penn State defense is doing right now is almost on the level of what the Washington offense is doing. And here's one last stat as we talk about, like, because Penn State's tied for second with Ohio State in our poll. Offensive plays or th- of 30 yards or more this season, Washington leads the nation with 23. Penn State is 126th in the nation with three. Yeah. 
So it's explosive versus non-explosive. I, th but again, it's a version of like, how do you win? And Penn State just smothered Iowa last week. So we have some, there's some interesting dichotomy, right? And, and right now, Ohio State's a defense first team. Yes or no? Yeah. So we're talking about Washington, Washington State, Oregon, right? High in our poll, high flying offenses. Penn State, kind of all defense right now. Michigan leans a lot on the defense and efficient offense, as we talked about. Ohio State's defense first. Really good football across the board, but in very different ways. All right, again, our final whatever rankings. Who deserves to be ranked in the North? Washington 1, Ohio State and Penn State tied for second. Michigan 4, Washington State 5, Oregon 6, Utah 7, Notre Dame 8, Oregon State 9. When we come back, we'll briefly go behind enemy lines because like, we're just going to sneak in there and like. Uh, you know, poke him in the side with a stick and then get out of there because, like, <laughs> we're not scared of him. Next on Kings of the North. All right, Landis, sometimes we go a little more in-depth with Behind Enemy Lines where we take everybody who's not one of our Northern teams. For people who are new to the show, we have 28 teams in the North that we have claimed as our Kings of the North teams. It's everybody in the Big Ten. That's 14. Notre Dame is 15. Syracuse, Pitt, West, uh, Syracuse, Pitt Boston College in the ACC. I'm going to do it live on the air. See if I can do it. That's 18. <laughs> Six in the Pac-12, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Colorado, and Utah. That's uh, 24. And then four in the Big 12 right now, West Virginia, Iowa State, Cincinnati, and BYU. See, I know our teams. We know and love our teams. So that everybody you else, you love them. I do. I want you to know that I, I think I've definitely done this the last two weeks, and I think I've done it the third week too. As I'm going through and like gathering my notes and thoughts on like things I want to talk about, I keep including Boise State. Yeah, <laughs> and then like Someday. the more the morning of the show, I'm like, they're not one of our teams, yeah. and it's like I just wasted 15 minutes. We've only we only are doing like Northern Power Five teams right now, but as we evolve and emerge again, we've talked about we have to figure out what we're going to do with USC and UCLA. If Washington State and Oregon State like aren't a quote power five conference or whatever i think i want to keep them i want to yeah. keep talking about them and and people will earn their way in we want to talk about teams up here that fit culturally and matter and we may have more than 28 so like we're on alert meanwhile down south we try to do five behind enemy lines i couldn't get to five there are not five southern teams worth ranking here's my four one florida state two texas three georgia four usc five pass mm. do you disagree pass no 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 I, I don't i don't disagree i will say like alabama's defense looked pretty terrifying this week um but there's enough going on there on the other side of the Were ball they that playing I think... the alabama offense in practice yeah, or what are you right, talking about right um LSU. Somebody got after Lane Kiffin. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh, oh, Nick Saban got after Lane Kiffin. That's a shock. <laughs> uh, I'm keeping an eye on LSU, but no. I, I, I'm well, they're my national championship. I, I loved Arkansas. My college football survivor show, like we were doing dark horses in the summer. I loved Arkansas. It's dark horse. And LSU had to kick a field goal like on the last play of the game to beat Arkansas this week. So all respect to Arkansas. If you're kicking a field goal in the last play of the game to beat yeah. Arkansas, you're not a national title contender. Sorry, Landis. I just want to be proven right in the end. No, I think you're right. There, there are four, and 
yeah and it's funny that like the one of the four is like usc which they're not even going to get the count yeah you know honorary north yeah south for now florida state is at the top of that list for sure and they would be again my resume rankings i agree with you i'd have them number one in the country because if you beat clemson and lsu that that's two real wins right those are two teams that have talented players they're both away from home too Yeah. yeah so that's like that's legit Texas is there just because they beat Alabama, but I continue to wonder how good Alabama is. And Georgia, I have no idea why Georgia remains like the overwhelming number one. What have they done? They've done nothing. If you resume rank, if you resume rank, and I would do it if I was on the AP panel right now. I'm seventh. Fair. Why are they? They're only a two-touchdown favorite against Auburn this week. Auburn, which just lost to Texas A&M and has a Michigan State cast off as its quarterback, and Michigan State can't throw the ball. So, but like, cause the, cause Vegas knows that Georgia is average, but the voters are like, well, you know, we got to beat the best to be the best. It's like wrong. This is college football. Everything changes year to year. So there's no, because I'm passing on number five, the candidates there are Bama who's lost to Texas, LSU who's lost to Florida state and Oklahoma who guess what? Looked great for three weeks and then kind of had trouble with an actual Northern defense beating Cincinnati 20 to six. Yeah, this isn't Tulsa, brother. It's not Arkansas State. So, like, welcome to real Northern defense. So, I think it's good for college football. If Oklahoma's good, I like the Brett Venables hire. Good for Oklahoma, but like, give me something to actually hang your hat on. I actually think if I was going to put a fifth team on the pass line, that's what I'm calling the number five spot on behind enemy lines. The pass line, right? Do you play craps? I've never played craps. No. Yeah. So I was in a casino again the other day, and like everything they have, ro- robot everything right now. So you, they have robot craps. I sat at a machine that had robot blackjack, robot roulette, and robot <laughs> craps because it's hard to go up and learn like live craps as a fifty-year-old man. Be like, excuse me, where do I put my five-dollar chip? So you're afraid to do that, but the with the robot, maybe I can learn it. So I'm going to call this the behind enemy lines pass line because there's nothing to put your money on here. I actually think if I was going to do it, it might be North Carolina, Duke, or Miami who have cropped up as like interesting ACC teams. If it's not going to be Clemson, like who's going to get in Florida State's way? Maybe it's Syracuse or maybe it's Duke, Miami, or UNC. But let me tell you something, South. If Duke is in the conversation to be your fifth best team, your whole (laughs) region's in trouble. Big spot. We're going to talk about it. Look ahead. Yeah, Notre I got a Notre stat Dame's for you Duke. on Duke, okay. brother. All right. I got a Duke stat that it's going to go right up your <laughs> northern flag hole. My God, the South is bad. Does anyone else acknowledge this? This is why we exist. We are here to celebrate and contextualize the culture of northern football. But what a wonderful coincidence that the show has launched at a time where we also can tell the South to cram it because this is the worst season of Southern football since like Army was the best team in in the nation in 1945. Like this is can you believe how bad or how mediocre, how meh the South is right now? They are unbelievably meh. And I just don't know if people are acknowledging it. Are they? And probably not enough. Um, certainly, that's not reflected. I don't think by the way people are voting. Like the SEC stinks, man. Like there, it's a bad league this year. There might be Just a, a wait th- until Georgia loses somebody. People are going to be like, yeah. I can't fill out my ballot. Wait till the Syracuse is ranked higher than any SEC team. Oh my god, <laughs> we're going to do. 
We're going to do a live ballot reveal the week that Syracuse is ranked higher than any SEC team. And it's going to be like, well, you know, Georgia lost to Kentucky and that Syracuse four touchdown win over Clemson is really holding up. I can't wait. People need to know, Landis. We're here to tell them. Yeah. All right. When we come back, what are we going to do when we come back? Oh, the best players. There's Knights. so many good players. We'll do that next on Kings of the North. Doug Maurice and Bill Landis, have we landed on Knights of the North as the best players? Is that the official? Like, do we like that? We're going to address when we hand this out to the Northern Heisman shorthand. You're allowed to call it the Northern Heisman when you talk about your friends. Mm-hmm. Are we going to give them an entire suit of armor? And it's like, that's what the reveal <laughs> will be. Rather than like having the vote and having them walk up the steps, we'll know the player that will know, but he'll like clink, clank, clink, clank, walk out at the banquet and people yeah. will be like, who is it? Who's in the suit of armor? And we'll just have one suit of armor. And like at the end, it'll be like, well, it's come down to Joe Walt or Cam Ward. <laughs> but it's just this suit of armor. And the suit of armor is like a large. <laughs> so it has to fit like either a 205 pound guy or a 340 pound guy. We apologize. Um, Knights of the like North, that. though. That's a good name. Yeah, yeah, I like I like knights. It's better than princes. I like that there's a little bit of alliteration there with with the kings. And I think, uh, yeah, these are these are the, the if the if the teams are the kings, then these are the people who are you know fighting individually on their behalf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I think that's good. Okay, so let's reveal our best players. And Michael Penix is number one, the Washington quarterback. He actually is now the co Heisman favorite, plus four hundred with Caleb Williams. We both ranked him number one. I don't, I think Washington has to make the playoff for him to win the Heisman. Caleb Williams winning the Heisman last year for a non playoff team was unusual. In the playoff era, you have to be Lamar Jackson to win the Heisman when your team's not in the playoff, which is just like we've never seen anything like that before. Mm. This is, this is such a rare individual player and performance and combination of skills that it supersedes what your team does. Otherwise it's the leader of one of the best teams. So do you think Penix would have a Heisman case and a Knight of the North case? Who cares about the Heisman? Can Penix win Knight of the North without Washington being a playoff team because his set of skills is so rare that would propel him? Yeah, I think so. The the thing about it is you have to to watch them. I think to appreciate it, if you're just kind of like stat, watching or box score watching to try to figure out who you would vote for in that scenario. Maybe not. Um, although his stats are going to be pretty gaudy. Um, he's a, he's a special thrower of the ball. So yeah, I, I think he could in a world where, cause I think we, we could get a scenario where the four playoff teams don't have particularly offensive players to kind of blow you away. Um, I think Michael Penix can still win it. Even if, you know, Washington falls short of that. 409 passing yards per game. Uh, first in the nation. Number two is Romo Dunze, Washington receiver, who's his number one target. 136 receiving yards per game. Number two in the nation. And so far, he's having the Marvin Harrison Jr. season. Yeah, he is. Um, they are. They they have found a way to design that offense to, I think, you know, make sure that no one gets kind of taken away the way that Marvin Harrison Jr. has been taken away in the two games that Ohio State has played against Power 5 opponents. Um Emeka Abuka has been the the benefactor of that. He's he's got some numbers. Actually, I had him on my list a little lower down. He didn't make our top ten, but yeah, wh- and maybe it's the nature of having like three really explosive guys to terrify you. 
and Ohio State doesn't quite have that. They have two, but yeah, Rome Roma Dunze is putting up monster numbers. Number three on our list, Joe Alt, the Notre Dame left tackle. I thought he lived up to the hype in the Ohio yep. State Notre Dame game. He's the number one graded offensive lineman at any position by PFF. He's only allowed three pressures this year. And I thought everything I saw through Notre Dame's first four games, you still saw in game five. Virtually impossible to get around in pass pro and in the run game. He gets to the second level. They ran multiple times to Ohio State's credit. They tried it a couple times that game where they did the thing where they brought Joe Alt from left tackle around to right tackle and made that jumbo power set with the two tackles together on the right side of the line. They scored an 80-yard touchdown off of the weather break against North Carolina State doing that play. It didn't feel like they, Ohio State got burned by that play. Well, so that's a credit to the Ohio State defense, but Joe Alt's the real deal. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's the only offensive lineman I ranked. I'm assuming that's the case for you as well. Um, the, there was not. This- I did rank. I ranked your guy this week also. Oh, really? I, I just don't think Olaf Fashano is playing very well this year. Um, and if there was any com- and it's not, we're not having a draft conversation, right? We're having about who's playing well this year conversation. I don't think it's close. Like Joe Walsh, the best tackle in the country. All right. Four is Jonah Ellis from Utah, the edge guy. Three and a half sacks last week. That gives him five and a half for the year. That leads the nation. Destruction. Against a freshman yeah. quarterback in Dante Moore for UCLA, this is like the edge performance that you want to see. At least two of his sacks were on spin moves, which is, yeah. I don't know, I'm a sucker for a spin move, but me it's too. like get get in the toolbox and give me something. Had another one on like a bull rush where he's just knocking people backwards. So it, I'm okay with this being a fluid list. The dude was the best defensive player in college football probably last week, so we got him in the top five. I also think it's good for when we're doing stuff like this to pick someone as like a representative of a unit that is playing yes. very well. And like Utah's defense, man, they just get after you. They are relentless in coming after you and they swarm you. And there's a lot of guys playing well on that defense right now. They're still missing a couple guys due to injury or guys that are, aren't quite 100% and are, are still playing. But Jonah Ellis, I think, has been a standout among a, a group of defenders that are playing, I think, as well as anybody in the country and better than most. He has that physical spin move where he like gets into the body of the tackle and then spins off that. He's not spinning like off first contact. He's sort of making like physical contact and then getting yep. away from you. Just like blew up that game. Blew up that Utah U- UCLA game. And again, this is why the Pac-12 is going to be so tough. He's going to blow up another game. He's going to ruin somebody's week. He's With all these good quarterbacks in the Pac-12, Jonah Ellis is going to ruin somebody's week. Number five is J.J. McCarthy. Three bad throws. Three bad throws this year, two weeks ago. It it affected our view of him, but I thought they got back to it Mm -hmm. uh, against Rutgers this week. And he's the highest Michigan player and the highest Michigan offensive player ahead of Blake Corum on this list for us because I do feel like he's like the general out there. He's leading what they do. They want to be balanced, but he's living up to what people wanted to see from J.J. McCarthy this year. It is an offense that is currently a vehicle for JJ rather than JJ just being along for the ride like he was last year, which which I don't know that I I don't think I would have made that assumption coming into this year, and it speaks to the progress that he's made. And I, you know I mentioned it earlier, um, like so like pure pocket passing, decision making, accuracy, like big time NFL throws when when it's kind of all on him and it's not a, a product of getting a defense to move one way and then throwing back the other off play action. Like he's ripping some throws that, that I think when, if you extrapolate that over the course of the season, you're talking about a guy who's going to put himself in the conversation of, of best quarterback out there. So he's played really well. Like I, I, and 
I was nervous that the three picks he threw it was against BG, right? Um, I was nervous that was like, oh, here here comes back the old JJ McCarthy, and then you know he rebounded well. I thought against Rutgers. Number six is Cam Ward, the Washington State quarterback that we've mentioned, and you had him higher than this total offense which is passing and rushing. He's number two in the nation yep. with 375 yards per game. Uh, only ahead of him is Michael Penix at 413 yards per game. Again, Apple Cup, don't miss it. Why did you have Cam Ward as high as you did? I'm not disagreeing. I just had him a little bit lower than you did. Yeah, I've, I've had him up, up a third, and I don't I don't know that I've ranked him prior to this, or if I did, it was, it was certainly outside of the top 10. It was more like keeping an eye on him and waiting to see what he looked like once they played a, a, a more capable defense, and they definitely played one against Oregon State this week, and he was electric. Like I, It's the combination of throwing and, and running. Like he, he throws it. He doesn't throw it like as well as a, as a Michael Penix. And maybe his arm doesn't wow you and everything's kind of like dialed up the right way as, as much as J.J. McCarthy does. But he can make every throw. He can throw it down the field. He's super aggressive. He's a playmaker. Um, and he's just exciting. Like, And, and it, it, was, it was reactionary to move him up. But I, I, I'm okay kind of living in that world because if this was just a momentary blip, then guess what? He's not going to be here in the end. But I thought that what we saw this week warranted moving him up as much as I did. Number seven is Shadur Sanders, and this is mostly on the, the strength of my vote. The Colorado quarterback, the Colorado offensive line has been a problem all year, but I mean, it hasn't been like they've survived it, right? But you kind of knew like, oh, I don't know about this offensive line. And then against Oregon, it was like, oh, I know now it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. He just couldn't do anything. Now, he also holds the ball too much. Yep. He's got a little Justin Fields in him that way. He wants to make a play. And I think I've said it before on this show. I like holding the ball. I like a guy who wants to make a play. But he had moments where it's like he's running backwards. They're talking about he's fading in the pocket rather than when he sees pressure trying to step up in the pocket. It was not a good game, but I don't want to bail on him. In total offense, what we cited before, he's fifth in the nation at 329 yards per game. And I was looking at dot. that's average depth of target, which is how far quarterbacks are throwing the ball down the field on their passes, right? I, I just sorted by our teams, right? Our northern teams, our 28 teams, Michael Penix is first at 12.4 yards per pass. That's a really good A dot, right? Mm-hmm. Bo Nix is not in our top 10. And here's why his A dot is last of Northern quarterbacks. His A dot is 5.8 yards per pass. So he, a lot of what Oregon is doing with Bo Nix is a passing game that's actually the run game, right? So it doesn't mean it's not good, but I think it's a little easier. You're more of a point yeah. guard getting the ball out. Now, Bo Nix is being that and being a point guard, but that's an extreme number. That is way down there. Like Dwayne Haskins in 2018, when he was a point guard for Ohio State, his average depth of target was 8.6 yards. Again, Bo Nix is 5.8. That's really low. Bo Nix is last among Northern quarterbacks. Drew Aller is second last from Penn State at 6.0. Cam Ward is third to last among the Northern quarterbacks, but it's 8.0, which is a, a significantly above Nixon Aller. I think Nixon Aller are like outliers at how low their depth of target is. It just, I think any statistical case and any sort of like individual award case, I just think you have to keep that in mind. The difficulty of what they're doing. Shadur Sanders is 22nd. He's 9.0. So again, Ward and Sanders are close. Nixon and Aller are way down there. 
Michael Penix is just stepping back and ripping it downfield every play. So I'm not yep. asking everybody to be Michael Penix. I'm trying to explain why we have this order. And if there are Oregon people who are saying, why isn't Bo Nix in your top 10? He wound up 12th on our ballot. That's why, as I'm trying to differentiate between highly successful quarterbacks who are leading great offenses and great teams right now, this is how I'm trying to splice it up. Yeah, I think those are all good points that I agree with. I was looking at some of that stuff too. Um, Bo, 30% of Bo Nix's dropbacks are screens, which yeah. is the second highest rate in the country. Joe Milton's the only one at Tennessee. He's the only one has a higher percentage. It's like 33%, I think. So it's like a third of this guy's passing attempts are basically runs, like you said. So it's just it's just hard to put him kind of in the same conversation with guys who are being more aggressive throwing the ball down the field. And it's not Bo Nix's fault. It's just the way that Oregon wants to run their offense. And listen, it's really good. And they get they get explosive plays off that stuff. I'm not I'm not saying their offense is bad, but you're you're again, you're trying to take into account what all quarterbacks are being asked to do. And the degree of difficulty does seem a, a tad bit higher for some of these other quarterbacks. So it's Cam Ward six, Shadur Sanders seven. Eight is Denzel Burke, our highest ranked Ohio State player, the highest ranked cornerback in the North. Why is he this high for us? He's playing really well. Like we've had Kalen King around this position from Penn State, and, and Kalen King is a really good corner. Like like draft draft stock going to be in the conversation, I think, for top corner in, in this coming draft class. But and Denzel Burke maybe won't be. But Denzel Burke, I think, is probably playing at a higher level right now. And and he got the ultimate sign of respect when they played Notre Dame. They threw his way one time. Yep. And that is that is and that is me. That is Notre Dame telling me they think Denzel Burke is really good. Um, they attacked Davis and Igbenosa in that game. They attacked the linebackers in that game. They did not throw Denzel Burke's way. And when teams have done that this year, uh, he's been pretty good. He's he's up there in terms of passes broken up uh, among all defensive players in, in college football. So and and he's sticking his head in there a little bit against the run too. Like I think. I think Ohio State's defense has been very good this year. They have two players that I think are playing at an exceptionally high level with Denzel Burke and Tyleek Williams. And Denzel Burke, I think, is the, is the guy who's a little ahead of Tyleek for me. So I wanted to make wanted to make sure in some regard that Ohio State's defense had a representative in this discussion. And I thought Denzel was a no-brainer. Yeah, we both had him high on the list. This was this was not one of us. This was both of us. Number nine is Damian Martinez, the running back from Oregon State. He's averaging 7.8. Yards per carry, only Audric Estime is better in the north, and, and Martinez is more explosive, right? He's mm -hmm. the guy who, who kind of makes that Oregon offense go. He's the bell cow and the explosive factor. Um, he dropped a pitch, which hurt him a little bit early in that game, but I, you've, you had him really high early this year. But to me, as we talk about an Oregon State team that maybe has a specific way to win, Damian Martinez is the guy to like maybe bail them out of that, maybe give them a moment where it's like, I don't know, that wasn't necessarily a, play, a great play call, but he made something happen. But he's a dude, and, I, and I, I think he deserves to be in our top 10. Yeah, he's a dude. He didn't score this week, which was weird. They, yeah. they had three three rush touchdowns from another running back in that game. Fenway, um, yeah, right. Fenway, three. Like a big, little bigger back, more physical, I think. Um, but I think Damian Martinez is really good. He's Maybe there's some people who think he's, he's a byproduct of a – tremendous offensive line and that's probably true in some regard like they kind of go hand in hand together but i i think he is in a at the moment while blake Horm is still trying to figure out his stuff like it made damian martinez is probably the most explosive running back in the north number 10 is a tie it's johnny newton from illinois who had been your guy 
defensive tackle, but this is all on my vote because you didn't put him in your top 15. The way people we do this, people, is we each rank a top 15 of players. We combine that list to get our top 10. Uh, you did not have Johnny Newton in your top 15, and then I didn't have Braylon Allen, the Wisconsin running back, in my 15, and I've been a huge Braylon Allen guy his whole career. So it's the based, based on single votes, they're tied for 10th. I'll just say... You thought Johnny, right? You thought Johnny Newton didn't play as well this week. They came back and beat uh, Florida Atlantic, right? But you didn't think he was great. Yeah, I thought he like took over the Penn State game, and I was like, "All right, here we go." And then like it didn't quite hit that way. He still is first in snaps among Power Five defensive tackles, which continues to be the thing of he's just on the field all the time. You know, in a world where the Georgia defensive tackles play forty percent of snaps, and Johnny Newton in Illinois just like almost plays it. Every snap. Like it's just so that's never gonna leave my head. It's why I voted for him. I love Braylon Allen. It's all on him now that that Ches Malusi is out for the year. It had been a great running back tandem at Wisconsin. Now it's gonna be on Braylon Allen. And I'm all in on like I think he's ready for it, but why did you have him this high already? I think he's more or less been what what I've come to expect of him, which is I think like a top five running back in the country, let alone the North. Um, I don't I don't know that I feel like Wisconsin has used him enough in some of these yeah. games. Like he's there's games where he's like around ten carries. I think Washington State he had like seven carries. And if you look at the yardage production, like he wasn't particularly effective, but like he's got to get more touches than that. And um, I'm I'm hopeful that they are starting to realize that whatever they want to be in the future under Luke Fickle, for the moment, they need to ride Braylon Allen. Um, and when they've done that, he has shown up and provided for them. So I, I think they need to do it a little more. Basically vanished, a non-factor in their loss to Washington State. Kind of ha- he's been himself in the other three games. So mm-hmm. that's why I didn't have him ranked, but I, I think he's a, a great back, and I-, I think he has a chance to, as good as Blake Corum is, as good as, you know, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen at Penn State are as good as Damian Martinez is, as good as Bucky Irving at Oregon is. We didn't rank him this week. There are some really good backs in the North. I think Braylon Allen could be the best back in the North by the end of the year. I don't think that's crazy at all. But for now, our Knights of the North, number one, Michael Penix from Washington. Number two, Romo Dunze from Washington. Number three, Joe Alt from Notre Dame. Number four, Jonah Ellis from Utah. Number five, J.J. McCarthy from Michigan. Number six, Cam Ward from Washington State. Number seven, Shadur Sanders from Colorado. Number eight, Denzel Burke from Ohio State. Number nine, Damian Martinez from Oregon State and tied for 10th. Johnny Newton from Illinois and Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. Bo Nix just missed it. He was 12th. When we come back, the reason you're here, it's the Brian Ferentz Survivor Show on Kings of the North. Doug Maurice back with Bill Landis. Um, Did you see... My tweet about uh, Kirk Ferentz. I did. It was good. Yeah, it was salty. I enjoyed it. <clears throat> so um, last year when uh, when I asked, uh, interrogated in Kirk Ferentz's words, interrogated Kirk Ferentz after the Iowa game at Ohio State, and he didn't like it. And then I wrote a, a pretty harsh column that Brian Ferentz should be fired and Kirk Ferentz is holding the Iowa program hostage by putting his son and that nepotism hire again uh, over the good of the Iowa program and the Iowa fan base. Um, it like was a thing for a couple days. And then like Kirk Ferentz apologized to the Iowa media, not to me, which is fine. He doesn't have to apologize to me. But then at like his follow-up news conference, like two days later, he said like, you know, uh, you know, I was driving home and I thought, you know, um, you know, it could be worse, you know, I, after that game, I was thinking it could be worse. You know, I could be that guy. You know, I could be that guy and have his job and act the way he did. So, 
you know, uh, you know, it could be a hell of a lot worse. Well, that was after Iowa had like 158 yards and 10 points against Ohio State. It got a hell of a lot worse, Kirk. <laughs> it got worse. You know, uh, it could be a hell of a lot worse. This is it, brother. Welcome to worse. <laughs> 76 offensive yards and a goose egg. It got worse. Let me tell you. Kirk, what is up? That's what got that's what Gus Johnson would say about this situation. It's unbelievable. Here's the most unbelievable stat of Iowa getting shut out by Penn State. Going into that game. Iowa had the third longest streak of not being shut out of any team in the Big Ten. That blows my mind. This was the second shutout of the Kirk Ferentz era. The first time they were shut out since 2000. The only longer streaks are Nebraska in 1996 and Ohio State in 1993. Ohio State hasn't been shut out since it got shut out by Michigan. 28-0 in 1993. Can you believe it had been that long since this Iowa offense, or at least the defense hadn't bailed them out with a score, or a punt return, or a punt block, or something to set up a field goal. That was, it's not that it happened, it's that it hadn't happened in two decades. Do you know how many plays Iowa ran in Penn State territory? No. Four. Four. It's just and it's because Penn State, had, Penn State had a punt from its own six-yard line, and it only got out to the 48. 397 yards for Penn State, 76 for Iowa, 97 plays for Penn State. That is an unbelievable number. 33 plays for Iowa. Iowa is now averaging 21.3 points per game. That's 107th in the nation. They need to average 25. That is uh, tied for 65th in the Power Five. There's Power Five, uh, 69 teams there. Um, they had four first downs and four turnovers against Penn State. They were one for nine on third down, and the previous shutout before this was October 14th. 2000, 31 nothing against Illinois. Um, and every, like, reading everything from Iowa people, like, again, if, if, I mean, the, the Ohio State game was a line in the sand, right? Because of what happened with me and because of what happened, with, not me, it was his reaction to what I did, yeah. right? Sort of created a story in college football for three days. And then we got to the end of the year and like in the, the AD announced he was retiring, but they didn't fire Brian Ferentz. Kirk Ferentz didn't quit. So then we were kind of like simmered for a little bit, but it all, this brought it all back. And I think it's bubbling over now. And I think they're like, I think this is the beginning of the end. Not that it wasn't already the beginning of the end, but that it was this bad and it engendered this reaction to get Michigan state this week. I don't know that they'll face a defense as good as Penn State's, but but they're in the pit, man. Like I don't think they're climbing out of this. I don't think they are either. Um, Kirk Ferentz did the thing again after this game, where like he's not this is not going to make changes based off like one game in season or something like that. Like the same stuff he was saying last year, right? Um, they're in a terrible place. They deserve it. I, like I don't feel bad for them. No, I don't. I feel bad for the Iowa fans. And I, I feel, feel bad for bad. the fans and I feel bad for the players. Yeah. I feel bad for the players. This is being but Kirk done and Brian to them. Deserve it. Yeah. They are victims in this. They are actually, you know, like this, this is something that is being done to them because of misplaced priorities and putting one person and one family over the good of an entire state, which is just reprehensible 
in any form, whether it's in politics, whether it's in business, whether it's in culture, whatever it is, whether it's in sports, to put one family, this is like what, this is the antithesis. This is like a monarchy. This is the antithesis of what America is built on. That one family gets to run the show and dictate. And so I will say this. My intention is not to make it personal with the Ferences. My intention is to call out a job poorly done. And on top of that, a situation that never should have been allowed to happen. They have nepotism rules in place that they have broken or, or found a loophole around to allow, allow this to happen. And so I don't have anything personally against the Ferentz family. I am against this situation and what Kirk Ferentz has done and Brian Ferentz's poor, poor, poor performance and not holding a people accountable in very high-paying jobs that affect a lot of people. But when Kirk Ferentz's answer to all of this in the end was, at least I'm not that guy and I'm that guy, it is personal. So the Ferentz's can cram it until they can't cram it no more. And it's why I take pleasure in their failures. But I do feel bad for the people of Iowa. And I hope it ends sooner than later. Every Monday you wake up and hope, fingers crossed. I hope Brian Ferentz gets fired today. And I haven't done, like, this is not how I operate. But if your response to cr valid criticism is at least you're not me, then I'm going to come for you. Yeah. You it's guys also an, think at this, Kirk and Brian. I think their response, their response is also an acknowledgement of like, yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> that's like a child's child's response. So at least I'm not you. Yeah, you know at least I'm like, not you. Yeah, I would like. Uh, can I offer a correction? Um, Iowa, Iowa ran uh, six plays in Penn State. Oh, great! Now no one's going to take us seriously because yeah. we uh, we unfairly tarnished Iowa with saying they ran, uh, ran they ran four. two plays late in the game, one from the Penn State forty six. Uh, that was a loss of one, and then they ran a play from the Penn State 47 that was a sack for a loss of seven. So that drive still ended in Iowa territory. All right. We're renaming this the Brian and Kirk can cram it show. But uh, they're failing, and if you find pleasure in that, um, we welcome you. But the real deal is the pain of people who care about this, the, the players who put in all the work, uh, the fans who put in all the passion, and the result is this, because you put your kid over the program and it's intolerable. When we come back, look ahead time on Kings of the North. All right, Doug and Landis. I got uh, eight games, Landis, that it's not as good of a slate as last week. Do you think the slate of Northern games last week lived up to the hype? Because I guess most, a lot of them were competitive and the ones that weren't competitive, Oregon, Colorado, Still had a lot of juice. Yeah, uh, Penn State, Iowa had juice in their own way as Iowa was shut out for the first time in more than two decades. Did you, did you think it was a good a good result for the North? Yeah, we got like an epic game with Ohio State and Notre Dame, a very entertaining, competitive, close game with Oregon State and Washington State, and interesting things in the other games, even if they weren't all you know as compelling as those those first two. Even even Cincinnati, Oklahoma, like it was close enough. They were like, "Oh, is Cincinnati going to do this?" And, and they didn't have the offensive firepower to do it in the end, but. Um, it was still cool, even even in spite of that, it was cool to see Cincinnati like get the big game treatment. And I think a lot of people to you know get the opportunity to see how how cool of a place Nippert Stadium is to see a game when it's rocking. 
All right, so let's talk about the games that matter the most to Northern football this week, again, involving at least one of our 28 Northern teams. Number one is Utah at Oregon State. It's Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. It's on FS1. Oregon State at home is favored by three, and this is a huge game. This is Most of these huge games in the Pac-12 are the second half of the year. This is kind of the beginning of that run. Does Oregon State have to win this to sort of stay in the race to make the Pac-12 title game? Yeah, I think so. Um, and I think like all, all the things I've said previously about the, the game state conversation with them, I think this is actually a pretty good matchup. Not that it's going to be easy to do anything against Utah's defense, but Utah's just not built to put it on you offensively the way that, that a Washington State is or some of the other teams that Oregon State's going to play later in the year. So I I kind of like this matchup for, for Oregon State. Um, we'll we'll see. I, I think it's going to be low scoring and probably pretty tight, but I think that's the kind of game where Oregon State is more comfortable. Washington State is off this week, and Oregon and Washington both play on the Pac-12 network. So if you want your fill of Pac-12 football, this is one of your two places to get it this week. I will say about Utah's defense, these are the four quarterbacks they played this year. Graham Mertz at Florida, who kind of bombed out at Wisconsin. Sawyer Robertson at Baylor, who's the backup because Blake Shapin, the starter, got hurt in week one. The Weber State quarterback that they held to 66 yards passing. And Dante Moore, a true freshman at UCLA, who was 15 of 35. So Utah gets after you. DJ Uyunglele is going to be the best quarterback they face. DJ has to go win this game for Oregon State. Like This is the kind of game that they went and got DJ for. Oregon State's a really good team. As many people have noted, hey, all the problems at Clemson. Maybe it wasn't just DJ as Clemson lost its second game this season. But this is like DJ has to rise up against a good defense here because Oregon State needs him. Are we where are we on waiting for Cam Rising to put his pads back on? At the like, does it matter because Utah's Utah and Jonah Ellis is Jonah Ellis at edge and and um, Morgan Scully as a defensive coordinator is going to do his thing and Kyle Whittingham's going to circle the wagons and we're all for seeing Cam rising whenever we seeing, see him, but we're not that worried about it. Yeah. Like he's on the sidelines. He is allegedly cleared, um, but he's not dressing. He hasn't played. And I think Utah might be off after this week. So like maybe that's when he comes back cam rising. But the thought in the back of my head is like, if, if Utah, if that's the case, and Utah can find a way to like, I don't want to say steal this game because that would be discrediting Utah, but like win this game shorthanded on offense. And then they come out of that off week, like just being as good as they've been all year on defense. And now they got Cam rising back. I don't want to play them. The two time defending Pac 12 champ, you mean? Yeah. Utah's going to do what Utah's going to do. Yeah. All right. Game two Cincinnati at BYU, another Friday night game, 10 15 on ESPN. So you can have this on at the same time as Utah, Oregon State. BYU at home, minus 2.5. I do think we have to give some credit to the Cincinnati defense from last week. Oklahoma in its first three games punted a total of seven times. Cincinnati forced them to punt six times, and they forced a turnover, holding that Oklahoma offense to 20. Dante Corleone up front for Cincinnati. like They have some real dudes on that defense for the Bearcats. The quarterback situation is a little rough. Emory Jones, um, the last two weeks... Two losses for Cincinnati, 53% completion, no touchdowns, four interceptions. I, I don't know if Cincinnati offensively has enough to go on the road and win this game, 
but I think their defense is real. And again, they're taking like a northern defense into the Big 12. So I, I don't know what's going to happen in this one with BYU. I think it's going to be close only because both these offenses aren't particularly good. Um, and if both these defenses, like statistically, don't blow you away. But like if you watch Cincinnati, they can get after you. We saw yeah. them get after Pitt uh, big, big time a couple weeks ago. Um, BYU is like the worst rushing team in the country. It's actually kind of blows my mind how bad they are running the football, and they're not nearly a good enough passing team to like overcome that. This does feel like a game that Cincinnati's defense could win for them, sort of despite what they have all of going on on offense and Embry Jones like throwing five picks in his last three games. Um, that's not great, but um, I do. I definitely believe in that defensive front. Like I, I think this is a game where a lot of things can go wrong for Cincinnati, and maybe the matchup's not tremendous, but that front can still win a game for them. Game three, we're moving to Saturday. USC at Colorado on Fox, big noon. Saturday, USC on the road, favored by 21 and a half. This is the game where I kind of thought Colorado, where the, you know, it was going to be like, okay. It actually turned out last week against Oregon was that game. I still just with Travis Hunter was healthy. They're going to try to do mm -hmm. some stuff. All, all the credit we gave Sean Lewis, the Colorado offensive coordinator, for the first three weeks. You know, they didn't have much of a plan once Oregon got off, got after him last week. Again, sure, Sanders held it, but Sean Lewis didn't exactly do many favors. So, like, they got to go back to the drawing board and try to figure this out. But I, I don't know. Is this going to be another rough one? It feels like it, it's a it's an early game. It's a it's a 9 a.m. body clock game, right? For I guess USC. Mountain, it's 10 a.m. But yeah, 10 a.m. for Colorado. So, like, that that's interesting. Maybe that means something. But, like, I don't – Colorado's not going to stop USC. That's for sure. Um, I thought last week that Colorado might be able to score more to keep it interesting and keep it keep it within the three touchdown spread that it was. Um, maybe I believe in their ability to do that a little more against Alex Grinch's defense, which stinks. But um, I think this could potentially get ugly because for all of the shortcomings of USC's defense, they will get after you in a backfield a little bit. I think they lead the country in tackles for loss. Um, so it could be another ugly one. Another noon kick game for Clemson at Syracuse on ABC. Clemson on the road is uh, favored by seven in this. And again, I'll just repeat what I've been saying for two weeks, which is Syracuse is going to win this game. What do you think of this matchup? Can Garrett Schrader beat Clemson by himself? Maybe. Yeah. The answer to that is like maybe, right? Maybe. Again, their um, offensive success rate's pretty good. Um, like they're they're up there, like. If the top tier of offensive teams is like, you know, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, USC kind of stuff, like Syracuse is in that second tier statistically. Yeah, like I don't I don't believe in Clemson's offense to really do much of anything against teams with a pulse. Um I do think their defense gets after it a little bit. Um, and that would scare me. So I'm with you. Like I, I'm I'm with you that I think Syracuse can win. I don't know that I'm all the way there with Syracuse will win, but it's a touchdown spread. So like, you know. That's closer than you would have certainly assumed coming into the season. So I think Syracuse definitely has a shot. Syracuse one and nine against Clemson since joining the ACC. I, I do think they get them here for the second win. I put this game on the list because of you. Game five, Virginia at Boston College, 2 p.m. on Saturday on uh, the CW. What does CW stand for? That's a good question. It used to be the WB. Colston Whitehead? The Colston Whitehead Network? I don't even know what the CW is. What does it stand for? I don't know. I'll, 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 I'll Google that. No, don't Google it. It's a th Why do we want to talk about this? Boston College is favored by three at home against Virginia. This is for you. Why do we want Why to talk about it? Why did I put this on the list? 
because Jeff Halfley better win this game, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they played they played a great game against Florida State and arguably should have won and then came back last week and got their doors blown off by Louisville. Um, Boston College is one and three. Virginia is zero and four. They're a bad football team. I if if Jeff Halfley loses this game, is he Boston College's coach on Monday? I don't know what, how much money their athletic department has. He might not be at the end of the year. But are they going to do it? Yeah, maybe they're not a fire coach in season kind of yeah. program. I, I don't know. They're probably not. Um, I just have yeah. I put Jeff Halfley tarmac game question mark on my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Logan Airport, I think, is a bear to get to, but it, he's at home. So what if they like put yeah. him in a car, drove him to Logan Airport, asked him to get out, and then they were like, "You're fired." <laughs> See. <ya. laughs> uh, all right. Game six is Michigan at Nebraska. This is three thirty on Saturday on Fox. Michigan is an 18-point road favorite here. We already talked about Nebraska wants to be Michigan. Can Nebraska hang with Michigan? Nebraska has the best rushing defense in the country, which I did not know um, until I started reading more about what Matt Rule was saying about wanting to be Michigan. Um, and Nebraska runs the ball like reasonably well, I guess. Um, I don't think Nebraska can beat Michigan. I think Nebraska could perhaps keep this uh, a little bit tight. Yeah, I don't know about that. I think Michigan's good. Okay, uh, seven. Has Michigan covered? Has Michigan covered? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That's everybody's fault for like putting too big a number on Michigan. They're going to dominate, but maybe not cover. Yeah. Um, Game seven is Illinois at Purdue, also at 3.30 on Saturday on Peacock, so you got to pay to watch this. Purdue's only a one-point favorite at home. Purdue has won six of the last seven in this series. 14 of the last 18 Illinois trailed Florida Atlantic 10, nothing last week and came back to one 23 uh, to win 23, 17 Isaiah Williams, 120 receiving yards last week. Um, still a really good offensive threat for Illinois. I I've been trying to like make Purdue a thing unsuccessfully. They gave up 487 yards against Fresno, 455 against Syracuse, 388 and lost to Wisconsin last week. They have one win over Virginia Tech in between. I don't know. This is like a toss-up game, but and it's interesting because Ryan Walters, the Purdue head coach, was the defensive coordinator for Bet- Brett Bielema at Illinois last year, and the Illinois defense being that good is what got Ryan Walters the job at Purdue, and now their defense is not good. They're actually like if they're trying to win, they're trying to win with Hudson Card and the off- offense, but it feels yeah. like they're caught a little bit in between here. Um, I like the hire at Purdue, but it's a little odd that Purdue's defense is, is this off kilter so far. I think this is one where Illinois goes in and wins this. Yeah, I think so too. I think I think Illinois' defense can probably smother that Purdue offense a little bit, and I, I don't necessarily think Illinois is built to take advantage of the fact that they're playing against a team that doesn't have a very good defense. Like I don't, I don't see them really getting into like the 40s but i think they could win like a 24 to 13 kind of game that's that's fairly low scoring last one saturday night at 7 30 notre dame at duke notre dame is minus six on the road this is my amazing duke stat riley leonard right who is a quarterback going in that clemson game people talked about it um on NFL draft boards, could he be a potential first-round pick? Do you know many, how, how many touchdown passes Riley? Oh, you do. Riley <laughs> Leonard has two <laughs> touchdown passes this year. Duke, as a team, has three passing touchdowns and fifteen rushing touchdowns, which is amazing. He hasn't 
exactly been lighting it up, but I, I, I will tell you, like Duke's Duke beat Clemson. Duke dominated Northwestern, which again is one of those I think people are like, well, that's it. Northwestern's going 0 and 12. And we already talked about that Northwestern has a pulse. That might be much more about like Duke is really good. Duke took it to UConn last week. Listen, you know. They're not playing world beaters, but they've built off the Clemson win. I think Notre Dame might be in trouble here, man. Duke's defense allowed five touchdowns this year, which is the same number like Penn State's allowed. I I, I think that defense is is salty to say the least. Like, are, are they dominant? Maybe not. Um, we'll see if Notre Dame can get back to I think wanting to hit some of the explosive plays they want to hit, the plays they could not hit against Ohio State's defense. I very much worry about the physical toll that playing Ohio state might've taken on Notre Dame going into a game like this. We saw like Notre Dame, Ohio state last year was very physical. Notre Dame turned around the next week and lost to Marshall. Now this Notre Dame team is, is much better. I think than that Notre Dame team was last year, but I don't think, I think like physically and mentally Notre Dame is like about as down as you could be right now because of just the way that game was played. And then the like the way they lost it with having 10 guys on the field. At, on the last two plays of the game, like they, there's a lot to rebound from, and the team they're playing is capable of beating them. So, uh, I also think it's not a great spot for Notre Dame. I was reading about like the Marcus Freeman Monday news conference this week, and I think he found out like during the news conference that their game with Louisville is also going to be a night game. Mm-hmm. And they said, like, he sort of went like, oh, and it's just like, so this is like home night game, all that energy, wristbands in the stands, and now they're playing a night game at Duke. College game day is going there. It's just like I think Marcus Freeman would maybe sort of like like to build his program in the shadows, and instead the networks are like, "Oh, Notre Dame's good. Put him in prime time every night." And he's like, "Why are we doing this?" So, yeah. I mean, again, statistically, that they outplayed Ohio State, and certainly the emerging idea i think from the notre dame side of things is that notre dame gave that game away they got conservative late they never took the deep shots with sam hartman bill you and i have talked about the idea that ohio state defense deserves a lot of credit for that but notre dame kind of did wear down ohio state a little bit in the second half but then they they couldn't figure out a knockout punch and it winds up with one of the great wins in ohio state history so all the vibes for Ohio State, I this is a I think Notre Dame's going to be good, pretty darn good by the end of the year, and I think mm-hmm. you know they'll give USC a game late in the year, and I think they might up with a good record. I don't know that they're they're ready for this right now. This is this is a really I don't I don't think that loss was like a devastating loss for the program because they still think they're going somewhere. I think it was a devastating loss for this team in this seven day period right now yeah yeah i think uh they they are it's the cliche right like don't let them beat you twice i i think um i think they are in jeopardy of that happening yeah we'll see it's going to tell us a lot about notre dame i think as a program and like what they're doing and marcus freeman's ability to like rally his guys and get them focused on a good opponent i guess on 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 one level maybe it helps that duke is good Right, if they were playing like uh, a more middle of the pack or by even bottom level ACC team, but that a team that still had some talent that could maybe sneak up on you, I think maybe perhaps that's even more dangerous than than a Duke team that is unbeaten and ranked and good and has beaten Clemson already. But I, Notre Dame is going to need to bring it, and and I I question their ability to do so given everything that happened last week. And by the way, I don't know who, what all the connections are still. You know who Duke is probably calling this week? Longtime Duke defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who is oh, at yeah. a 
as on a bye week for Ohio State. And it's like, yeah, I got seven hours to tell you how to stop Notre Dame. Cool. Let's do that. Jim Knowles loves Duke. So it's not about the people, it's the place. And Jim Knowles might just drive down there and be like, here is my binder. Here's my Sam. Although Duke played Sam Hartman at Wake Forest a million times before, too. So they know what's up with that. But yeah, uh, Mike, just a tough Mike Elko knows Notre Dame, too. Yeah. One, uh, one year defensive coordinator. At, uh, at Notre Dame, Mike Elko, Duke head coach. So anyway, not as good as last week. Certainly enough interesting games. Again, Washington stayed off. Ohio stayed off. Oregon and Washington on a network that a lot of people around the country can't get. So not quite as good as last week, but uh, Northern football still in very good shape. If, you've, if you're part of this, we're so grateful. We're just getting this going. Uh, if, if you're used to us on the Kings of Columbus feed, if you're an Ohio State fan, we hope you enjoy this larger look at Northern football. And if you're not an Ohio state fan, you're a fan of somebody else in, in the North. We hope you kind of get what we're trying to do here. And we're, we're trying to create uh, a world that we feel like doesn't necessarily exist right now. And so I think we're really f- kind of falling into the shorthand bill of like, I'm getting used to just thinking about these 28 teams together yeah. and in the same way and in context of each other. And I don't think anybody else in the country is doing it that way, but it, it didn't take us very long. I think for, to make it feel normal. No, it feels like we're hitting our stride. And I, the thing I have loved the most ever over the last like two, three weeks is people talking to us, asking questions, sharing their analysis and comments, like in this same context too. So yeah. that's really fun. So uh, we couldn't be more grateful if if nobody watched and nobody listened, we'd be uh, in a heap of trouble. Uh, so we'll ca- you know you can catch us early in the week every week on Kings of the North, and then Bill and I are doing our Ohio State content on Kings of Columbus um, the rest of the week. No post-game show for Ohio State fans this week because there's no Ohio State game, but you'll still get plenty of us here on the podcast feed. For now, for Bill Landis, I'm Doug Maurice, and I got to come up with a catchphrase. Uh, Be careful with your swords. No, I don't know. (laughs) Make sure your helmet doesn't rust. It's like I want to lean in, but not too far. Uh, Make sure you get snow tires, whatever. Anyway. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And that was Kings of the North.